This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. This is our last show of 2022, and I am so proud of how we have grown and the conversations we have had over the past five months. If you are at all in the Christmas spirit and wanting to give me a gift this Christmas, I will let you do that. I would love for you to go through the past several episodes of season three and pick just one that you think may encourage a friend. I've taught courses in persuasion, and one thing people often don't realize is that the most persuasive relationships in each of our lives is not necessarily me as a podcast host or whoever your favorite author or whoever your favorite speaker is. It's actually you. So communication theory says our friends and families deeply impact us and that the most persuasive thing we will ever experience is relationship. And so truly the best gift you could give our Viral Jesus community this Christmas is to help us expand it. Invite someone you know who cares about faith and social media and intergenerational discipleship into this community. Share your favorite episode with them. Post us online. Send a little text with an episode and say, hey, this episode made me think of you. You can also leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Let's make Jesus go viral. All right. Are you ready for hashtag blessed, where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess. I saw an article in the Washington Post titled, The Crisis of Student Mental Health is Much Vaster Than We Realized. And I want to share with you a quote from that article. It says this, the CDC found 45% of high school students were so persistently sad or hopeless in 2021, they were unable to engage in regular activities. Almost one in five seriously considered suicide and 9% surveyed tried to take their lives during the previous 12 months. So I wanted to ask Haley Hoskins to join me to talk about this. Haley, just so you know, is my social media girl. She's been running my personal Instagram for over a year, 
I think now. And she's also the intern for Viral Jesus for this show, for all things that you see of us online. But I also wanted to talk to her because she's still in college. She's a college student. And I thought she could bring an interesting perspective. So Haley, 45%, you read the article, 45% of high school students felt hopeless this last year. Do you think the technology habits of your generation went into that statistic? Are our phones making us more hopeless? Is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think technology has a big part in this. I mean, research even shows that social media negatively affects mental health. Mm. I think it's so hard. You even see on social media today, like 12-year-olds today look nothing how I looked when I was 12 years old. It's Haley. <laughs> so my best friend Scarlett just sent me a picture of this girl. I think she went to a dance. Yeah. And the girl looks like like a Kardashian, right? Like yeah. like a and the guys look like normal high school boys. And I was like, what is happening in the world that girls look like Kardashians at 15 and guys get to look like regular 15-year-old boys? Yeah. It's it's insane. And I think that that puts so much pressure on young girls, even guys too, but just to feel like they have to look a certain way and God created us uniquely and individually. Yeah, We shouldn't feel like we have to live up to a standard of how someone looks on social media. We're all different. We don't have to look alike and, and it's good to be different. So I think that that's really hard. I even see it in like my age group, people Mm -hmm. like struggling with comparison, but I can't even imagine what it's like to be a 12 or 15 year old right now as it's just getting worse and worse. Okay. I have to ask, what age were you? Were you on Instagram all throughout high school? (sighs) Probably starting my sophomore year. So like 16. And what was that like? What was that experience for you? I would say it was so different than it is now. People... Really? Yeah. I mean, I think people would post when they went to prom or something fun like that, maybe for their mom's birthday or something. But now people are posting pictures with tons of makeup and filters to say, hey, I'm here today and I'm, I'm on social media. And it's just so different. It feels like it used to be there for a purpose and someone would post because of a birthday or an event something special. And now I think there's benefits because now people can post really awesome things and do ministry through it, which is great. But I do think a lot of people are using social media to just post pictures of themselves and Mm. show off what they look like. And what are you thinking? Because you're working in this field. Are you, are you graduating this year? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, you're graduating this year, hopefully going to go on. If any job people are listening right now, Haley is going to be looking for full-time employment very soon. She is fantastic with social media. Seriously, I really mean that. You're awesome. You You want to work in this field. What are some of the things that perhaps worries you about making this a full, like your actual job and also this intersection between my job and my personal life? Yeah, that's a great question. I think something that worries me is getting too caught up in social media, but I think... I have a good balance right now as of like, okay, it's time to be done with this. Um, Okay. I don't use social media a lot in my personal life because I have different clients that I do social media. Right. So I'm already on it a lot. And I don't feel like, like I said earlier, it's not great for your mental health. It actually has negative effects on mental health. And so I don't tend to go on it as much as maybe I used to. So I think that is something that's really important is having a balance between 
like how often you're on it and setting boundaries of like, okay, I'm going to go on for 15 minutes and do this right now, but then I'm going to be done for a little bit and taking that break. I think boundaries, I think that's the key. So what do you guys think? Studies are showing high schoolers are 45%. That statistic was so shocking to me of high schoolers last year felt hopeless. I'm wondering, are our phones making us feel more hopeless? Is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Today's conversation is absolutely something I need in my life in this cold winter season. We are sitting down with Jonathan Evans. Jonathan Evans is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary with a master's degree in Christian leadership. Jonathan Evans is a mentor, author, speaker, and former NFL fullback who serves as the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys and co-chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks. His new book is called Fighting Your Battles. So Jonathan, I always start these interviews by searching through the person I'm going to talk to's online profile. So I've been going through your social media and I want to read a post that you put on Instagram. It's actually a quote from your book. And I just want you to walk us through what made you write this. So the quote says this, your victory starts with the battle. Talk to me about what you want people to know who are in the middle of a battle right now. Yeah, absolutely. My mom told me something that I'll never forget uh, before she passed away in 2019. And she said, you got to keep going because your greatest ministry will come right out of your greatest misery. And once Mm -hmm. you understand that there's a connection between your misery and your ministry, you understand that God doesn't waste anything and he uses everything. The Bible says for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And those all things include the pit of your life, um, the grief in your life, the struggles in your life, the headaches that you go through and the battles that you have to fight. And we just have to understand that if we want victory, if we're we're celebrating victory and we, we always, you know, it's sporting games, you're celebrating victory. That means there's a game to watch. And that means there's interceptions that'll be thrown. You have to go mm. through the fumbles. You have to go through all of that to get to the celebration. And the celebration is greater when there's greater things that you've overcome to get there. You work as a chaplain. You're the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys right now. And so I'm, I'm assuming that you will get to some of the experiences that you've been through in your own life, but I'm assuming that you're often the person somebody calls in a difficult experience. And so what does that look like? What does that conversation look like when somebody can't see the victory, at, right? Like yep. all they see is the dirt in their nails from the pit that they're in. What do you say in that moment? Well, yeah, I think it's important. First of all, it's just the sympathy and empathy in that moment. Uh, yeah. Recognizing that where you are is a hard spot. Where you are, you it's okay to grieve. Like where you are, the anger, or the frustration, the anxiety, the worry that you feel First of all, I understand. And so I'm um, just talking about what they're 
going through and what they're dealing with, but I want their eyes to see further than the walls mm-hmm. that are surrounding them. I want them to, 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 to get to a place where they recognize uh, the victory that we have been given in, in Jesus Christ. And so we have to get to the place where we're fighting from victory and not fighting for mm-hmm. victory. Um, mm. And so the, it doesn't mean you're not fighting. It doesn't mean. OK, wait, wait. What does that look like? I love that. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. What does that look like? In other words, you get frustrated looking for something that you already have. Uh, I remember one time I was walking around the house looking for my phone and it rang in my back pocket. So I spent all of that time running around looking for something frustrated that I already have. We have victory in Jesus Christ, ultimate overcoming. Mm. We are more than conquerors. We understand that and we know that, but we have to understand it and know it in the hardest places. Uh, Like Moses Mm. in Exodus 17, they didn't have water. Uh, Amalek is coming to fight them, all of those different things. But God said, I have a promised land for you. God said, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. So even though there's a Red Sea, even though there's days where you're hungry, even though um, there's uh, battles that have to be fought, know that you're fighting with my plan of promise already in action on your behalf. And so mm. it's a perspective that Christians need to have to understand that we don't have to wait for eternity to experience heaven. We can experience Mm. heaven right now, but that means that we're still going to have to have wilderness situations and opportunities that we're willing to walk through and trust God through so that we can get to what he's calling us to. You wrote your book, Fighting Your Battles After Facing Some of Life's Toughest Challenges in your own experience. What experiences in your life spurred you to say, this is not just something I'm going to have be my own story. This is a story I'm literally going to write down and share to thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important. Um, and there's several of them. A lot of them I talk about in the book, but I talk about them in a different way. The book has QR codes in it where you can scan it and I come up on video and me and my wife come up on Oh, video. that's awesome. Yeah, but, I love that. Yeah, so it's totally interactive because I want to walk with you, provide community for some of those people who I are love alone. that so that we can talk together about what we're going through. But one of those, me and my wife have had four miscarriages um, in the mm. process of trying to uh, have children. And that was a, a a big issue, especially for her, that maternal instinct, but me as well. But right. for her, it's a different level. because right. um, And so we had to walk through that in our marriage. And we talk about that in the book by video. Um, I also talk about the losses. We've lost eight family members in a span of two years, starting in 2018 uh, ended right at the beginning of 2020. Lost my mom, my grandfather. Uh, my dad lost two of his siblings. I lost my cousin Winter at 38 years old. Her heart just stopped in her house with four children and a husband. I mean, there's so many sudden things that happened that I couldn't have predicted that I went through. And I went through all of the emotions. I totally depressed, mm. sitting in dark rooms, angry, frustrated, doubting my faith, mad at God, all of those different things. And then God let me know exactly what we were talking about. He said, even though you're going through this, you have to remember that you're going through it as a victor. So you have to remember not to live as a victim. Mm. And so a lot of people live Mm. as victim victors. They have the victory because of what Jesus has done, but they live as a victim because of what has happened. And so God let Mm. me know that the victory that you have and that you're praying for. When I prayed for my mom um, to live, 
and I was frustrated because she passed away. God was like, you, you, you're still tripping. You don't understand my victory. I understand that it's hard. And I understand how you feel, but you asked for her to live because of my son's death. She lives eternally. You asked for her to be healed because of my son's death. Mm-hmm. She's, she's healed eternally. You asked for her to be with family. She is. You asked for her to be well taken care of. You can't do it better than me. Trust me. Um, and so when he mm-hmm. brought back that victory that we have in Jesus Christ, even though I'm grieving, I'm not grieving as those with no hope. Even though I'm hurting, I'm not hurting without the knowledge that I have victory in my hurt. And and a lot of people don't just hurt. They become victims of the hurt, even though they've been victor- victorious through what Christ has done. And so I go through and explain all of that um, in the book and then how to walk that out um, in our battles. It's interesting that you say that. I have somebody who I love dearly right now who is terminally ill. And I just talked about this with my therapist yesterday where I am making a choice to keep praying for healing while I can. And for me, that's just what feels right. um, Knowing that, of course, it ultimately rests with God. But what would you say to somebody right now who is like me, who's sitting with somebody that they love so dearly. Um, and they still want to have hope of, of healing mm-hmm. here and healing now. What did that, what did your prayers look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we time? knew, listen, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, make your request known. Um, we knew that if you pray Amen. according to his will, he hears you. I mean, uh, pray believing you will receive, like we went through, <laughs> all of those passages and acted them out. We had people walking around our house like yeah. Jericho. So the walls of the cancer That's would me. fall yes. down <laughs> in my mom's situation. And so the, the key is, yes, you keep believing, keep praying, keep having the faith because God can work a miracle. God, God can, God can take somebody mm-hmm. from the bed and stand them right up. And, and it's happened before. If he's done it before, he can mm-hmm. do it again. You keep praying with with mm-hmm. full belief and you do so not even with the you know but at the end of the day lord if your will be done no you go after god and you let him know what you want the bible says come after me with an unveiled face okay. in other words you go full speed with full mm-hmm. expectation that the god who's done it before can do it again and that's what you do you don't think about the other side you know it's there but you don't need to think about that you mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. the game that's being played currently and you think about putting your best faith mm. foot forward and what you feel like you're called to do. And that is I'm praying for absolute healing. And that's what I did. Me and my family, we went mm-hmm. hard. We had people playing all over the world, all over Dallas, walking around our house like we just talked about coming in, laying hands. We did all of that and we did it scripturally based. And now that was the frustration is mm-hmm. when that didn't work. Oh, I was because we put all we put it all in there, yeah, and expected God to do a miracle. Right. But God told me, "You can't tell me how to get my glory, and it's better for me to resurrect her than mm-hmm. resuscitate her." See, what you're asking for is resuscitation. What I gave mm-hmm. her is eternal life, and so that is the victory side of it. Mm-hmm. Once you see that God has made His decision, but until He's made His decision, it's our job um, yes. to go full speed. And because God even can change his mind. Moses prayed in the book of Exodus and God, who was going to yeah. kill the people and on, on the account of Moses decided not to. 
And so God can change his mind within his character mm-hmm. and still be totally righteous. And so it's our job not to try mm-hmm. to think for God, but to pray to God. That's a word. Fighting for your battles is the subtitle of every Christian's playbook for victory over life's challenges, which is perfect, I think, for somebody like you, former NFL player, current chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys. You know a lot about the value of a winning playbook. So talk to me a little bit about how you see the Bible as a playbook for our lives. Well, yeah, definitely. You know, it's totally sufficient, totally perfect for every area of our lives. And, um, you know, as a football player, you know, if you don't have a playbook, you don't know what to execute. And the defense does see the defense watches film on you all week. So you better be well versed Mm. on what your calling is based on your specific position on that team, because the defense is going to make so many moves and so many shifts. And they're going to do so many different things before the snap of that football that if you're at at all confused, Okay, so the enemy knows your plays. He knows your tendencies. If you're at all confused, he's going to shoot through the gap and make it hard for you to have any progress in your life. And so a lot of people want to move forward, but they don't know the parameters that God has given for their life in order to be able to move forward and have that progress. And so the Bible is very important. And I think that one of the great ways to read it is by taking an external resource where someone has done the research for you in a particular area that you're struggling with, because the scripture references will be in that external resources based on the specific thing that you're dealing with so Mm. that you're not just flipping open the Bible and saying, well, I think God wants me to read this because that's where it opened up to. You're actually doing it specifically based on a certain area of your life where you need God to speak to you. And I think if people learn how to study that way, they'll get specific answers in specific areas so they they know how to execute specifically when the defense comes. And so that's the advice I give a lot of times when it comes to the Bible and and, and God's word. But the most important thing about God's word, not just the word itself, even though that's extremely important, that's the starting place, but it's wisdom. Hmm. And the difference between knowledge and wisdom is the knowledge that goes into your head, does it move to your feet in the nuances of the circumstances that you face? Hmm. There's a lot of people who know stuff that don't do stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know it, but they're not able to do it. If that knowledge that you learn in the team meeting room doesn't translate to the field of play, you're still going to have a problem with the coach. And he'll, he'll bench you and he'll sit you down and you'll have consequences, not because you didn't know, but because you didn't do. And so we have to get to the place where we do it. And when do we do it? We do it in a game. We do it when it's hard. We do it when people are trying to knock us down. We do it when situations are coming out of nowhere and people are flying around and balls are being thrown. See, we do it in the chaos is Mm. where you get biblically astute in your feet. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, 
you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. What does your process look like for worship or devotional time? Do you read the Bible cover to cover? Do you just spend time in one book? Do you do it topical? What does your personal spiritual devotion time look like? Yeah, so one of the things that I got in the habit of, and then, you know, it got a little bit too hot here in Texas, <laughs> so I had to put <laughs> some things up, but I would get up before my family gets up and I would take a walk around mm. my block quiet and get that time of just serene and solitude um, where I can open up the word. And sometimes I would choose a book of the Bible that I just wanted to read. Some things would hit me. And so I'd read that particular chapter over in that book. And so I would just walk around the block and I'd say, let me just read two or three chapters in one particular book of the Bible that I can muse on this morning. And so every morning I would get up and now that the weather's back nice, I'll get back up and do that uh-huh. um, again. Then the other thing is what we talked about were the external resources, where, okay. you, where it's specific to a circumstance um, that you're going through that someone can talk you through. It's like going to church almost where you're getting preached to on a specific topic because the author has already done the work and they're handing it to you for you to learn and grow. And then the other thing that I think is important is teammates. That's called mm. accountability. We'd like to play a team game as individuals and you'll get beat up breaking the huddle with nobody there. And a lot of people want to keep to themselves and, and all that kind of thing. But Moses was smart enough to go to the mountain yes. in Exodus 17 with Aaron and her to hold up his arms. Yes. Because holding the spiritual battle, holding the spiritual perspective in a battle is very hard to do. When your marriage is struggling and you're still trying to be spiritual and you're still trying to do it God's way, it becomes very difficult. When you have a wayward kid, it becomes very difficult to stay steady in your faith and mm. not veer off to your feelings. And um, and so it's important to have someone who's also knows the playbook, who's going the same direction, who can hold your hand and help you understand how to overcome these battles. And so those are the three areas I focus on. Talk to me about your work as a sports chaplain. What does that look like for you? How do you find the needs that you meet in that situation different perhaps from pastoring or your speaking? Yeah, no doubt about it. So it's basically like a team pastor. So I go, I do players' Bible studies, coaches' Bible studies, um, chapel services, which is their church service because they play on Sundays. So on Saturday nights, they'll have chapel service. Sometimes I'll bring someone in to lead worship, or my brother in to lead worship, and then I'll preach a, about a 20-minute message. So they have their church services in the off-season. I've married several of the players who are getting married. Um, unfortunately, we've even had a, a memorial service that I've had to perform mm. for a family who lost one of the players. Um, and so it's it's pretty comprehensive as a team pastor. I also do in the past, before COVID, I went to all of the games, including the away games, and they would give me a room 
so that players could come and get personal counseling if they needed it. And so the way that you would think about a pastor is kind of the role that I play with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And what's interesting is even in, I'm sure you already know this, but let me break this down just for our listeners, because were you in the NFL? Yes. And had an injury. And I'm sure at that time, was it even in your mind? You're just thinking, I want to be in the NFL. It's probably not even in your mind that you'll be pastoring the NFL and that those experiences would prepare you to do exactly what you're doing now. Talk to me a little bit about the devastation that probably came from your injury and all those dreams of what you think life is going to look like get changed. Oh, absolutely. I just wanted to be able to run out of the tunnel, experience the NFL, work so hard for it, put all my time towards it. And I'm getting cut, traded, hurt, carted off the field. Basically, it was the lightest, darkest time because I I was there, but being there was a lot of turmoil. And a lot of times Mm. you'll be praying for something and then God will let you have it. But when, (laughs) when you get it, it doesn't sit in your hands the way you wanted it. And uh, mm. and so I went through all of the changes, all of the changes you can think of that an NFL athlete went through. I went through for five years trying to just get settled. And, you know, I even was trying to take care of my family. I was married. I had one child at the time and <laughs> trying to make ends meet when you're getting cut and you don't know when you're going to get called. And, you know, my wife is pregnant. She's... It, so it's just, I'm traveling all over the world. So it was a crazy time um, that I did not appreciate at the time. Right. But when I got hurt, I had an mm. Achilles injury, tore my Achilles tendon. Ouch. And I heard God say loud and clear, I'm not going to continue to let you walk in this direction. You've been wrestling with me for a while, and now I'm going to change how you walk. So I limped wow. into seminary. Uh, reluctantly didn't want to go, but I, I limped into seminary and about four months into seminary, I got called to come back to the Cowboys. And I remember walking into the locker room and everybody being like, Jonathan, you're back, you're back. And they were like, where's your locker? And I was like, I don't have a locker on wow. the chapel. <laughs> so I they have goosebumps. That was funny. You just gave me goosebumps. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that that's crazy. But now I realize what my mom said, mm. your greatest misery will become your greatest ministry. Like, God always wanted you to run out of the tunnel, but his way, not your way. And so there's nothing a player can tell me that I haven't experienced myself. And you know what else? Just them seeing you. For somebody who else who gets injured or thinks there's no life for me outside of this thing, you become this representation of there's always a greater plan. There's always a greater plan. And a lot of times for people, they can't see beyond the darkness, but God is way beyond. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He sees your beginning and the end um, all at once. And so we have to be able to trust that. And we serve a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he did it, because he went through it. So Jesus is not asking any of us to do what he himself has not already done. They they tried to kill him the day he was born. (laughs) Um, His own hometown tried to throw him off of a cliff. They tried to stone him. He was betrayed. The people he came to save rejected him. His whole life was turmoil. His his whole life right. was rejection. His whole life was doing things for people who could do nothing in return. You know, so so his whole life was trauma. So Jesus is not saying, hey, look at me. I'm having a good time while you have a hard time. No, he's saying, if you follow me, you'll suffer right. like I do. But guess what? Where am I? Seated at the right hand of the Father, because I was willing to go through the process of the battle. I've noticed as we've been talking, you've said quite a few times, and God said to me, and God told me. I want to talk about that because often I think people have a misconception about what it means to hear from God. I'm a professor, so I talk to students all the time who think, well, God's never spoke to me. 
I think yeah. people are waiting for this loud, thunderous voice. So could you just share <laughs> when you say, and I felt God tell me, what is that process like when you're hearing from God? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. The problem with that is Abraham had already made a home in Haran. Abraham had already settled the verses before Genesis chapter 12. Abraham had already settled in a place mm-hmm. where he was okay. Then God's voice came and told him to get unsettled from the place where he settled. In other words, you know, when God's talking, when he unsettles people mm-hmm. who are settled, in other words, as high as the heavens are above the earth are his ways from your ways and his thoughts from your thoughts. He's not thinking what you're thinking. He's unsettling mm-hmm. you from what you're thinking. And so when I was praying to God about my anger and my fear and how could he and blah, blah, blah. He took me in a totally different direction that was based on his word. And so God doesn't stray from his word. A lot of times we try to get God to, you know, we try to forge God's signatures on our desires. But God is not riding your wavelength. He's trying to get you to ride his wavelength and it'll always be based on his word. So when he was telling me about his victory, he was reminding me about his word. When he was telling me about his son's sacrifice, he was reminding me about his word. When he, So if you want to know God's word, you can read it. And if you want to know God's word out loud, you can yeah. read the Bible out loud. And then also when God speaks to you, when you have the spirit of God pressing on you on a certain issue that makes mm. you uncomfortable, Noah, build an ark. You've never seen rain. Abraham, obey, even though you don't know where you're going. Sarah, you're going to have a baby, even though you're mm-hmm. in your nineties. Rahab, you're going to become a part of God's people, even though you're not right now. And you have a job description mm. that wouldn't fit. Ruth, you're a Moabite. How in the world are you going to make it in? David, you're not even in the room to be selected as king, but I'm going to make you king. Gideon, you're going to win a war with only 300. When God speaks, it's a very unsettling, very not your way, very based on his word. And it's something you would like to shake, but you can't shake it. But you're trying to shake it because you're justifying your way out of it. It's better for me to stay at this job. It's better for me to stay with this person. It's better for me to stay in my comfort zone. But God's not concerned with your comfort zone. He's concerned Mm. with your calling. And his voice will break you from your comfort zone to get you to your calling based on his word. You tell a story in your book about how you were dabbling in real estate. And you bought these two houses to flip and they weren't selling. And you're praying this whole time and you're getting nervous now because it's getting close to Christmas. And you thought, I have to tell my kids, we can't have Christmas. And on December 20, an investor offers you cash and says he can close within three days. And so you get the money, it says, for Christmas on December 23. And that story resonated with me so much because I, oh, this is my conversation with God a lot is why do you always pay when the rent is due? Like I would love in advance, you know? So what do you say to somebody right now who's where you were on December 19? What do you say to somebody who is in December 19 and is like, but where is he? What do I do? What do you say? Oh man, there's the theology of sudden. Yes. Uh, when, when God comes through suddenly and he comes through in the midnight hour, mm. or, you know, like a rushing wind, you know, or when the disciples were out in the water and it was the chaos. And then at, at the fourth watch of the night, they see Jesus walking on the water. So it's always at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but he decides to, to come through. But when he does it that way, he creates the highest level of dependency he wants to see mm. in you. 
the advance will not give you dependency. Mm. See, in human life, it's about being independent. I grew up in my parents' house, but they're going to kick me out. I'm raising you to be independent. I'm an independent woman. I'm an independent man. I can do it on my own. So, so people find value and virtue in being independent. In the Chris, Christian maturity, Christian adulthood is not independence. It's dependence. Yeah. It's the other thing. In the middle of your battle, are you a steward or are you an owner? Are you dependent or are you going to do it yourself? When you're going through your struggles and your issues, are you dependent or are you going to do it yourself? You haven't prayed actually until the rent was due and you couldn't pay it. That's the only time God hears from us a lot of times when the tire <laughs> goes flat and when something goes up. So we learn dependency mm. through him seeming like he's not around until the last mm. second. But we also learn the victory through being able to experience him coming yeah. through at the last second. What do I mean? The next time I go through yeah. a battle, I remember what he did the time mm-hmm. before. The anxiety is different. The worry is different. Um, the depression is different because I know the God who did it yesterday can do it today. And so it creates another level of, you know, my children will often say, I'm not worried. Daddy can pick it up. I'm not worried. Daddy will be here. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it because daddy's got it. Mm-hmm. He'll make it. And then when they talk about money, daddy, you can pay for it, which they're ha- wrong most of the time <laughs> about that. Daddy, you can do it. Daddy, you got money. You know, in their minds, they just think they've had me around long enough to feel secure. Mm. That even if there's a problem, I can call daddy and he'll handle mm-hmm. it. And so for the person who is raised without a father or views God like they view their father experience may have the view, I'm not sure yeah. if God's going to come through because I haven't experienced a man coming through in my mm-hmm. life, my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so they view God based on their father relationship. Uh, But that creates a level of dependency when God shows up and shows you, I'm not like your father. I want to read a quote from your book that struck me. I know it's something my students would resonate with. You say, you've heard people say how Christians can be so heavenly minded. They are no earthly good. They're referring to the ones who do nothing but use a lot of spiritual words and walk around looking churchy. That is absolutely finger on the pulse, I think, of how a lot of young people feel today. Walk us through that. Walk us through that for the young person listening who's like, that's what all the church is. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, the sad reality is that we're supposed to be salt of the earth, not salt in the shaker. Mm. And a lot of Christians are satisfied with going to church and thinking that that is their Christian duty is to go to church to worship, to hear the word. And while that is good, um, your job is to actually be salt to the earth. And what Jesus meant there is that they didn't have refrigerators back then. So they would salt their meat and coat their meat with salt to prevent it from decaying as quickly. Um, So salt was a preservative. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just used to season. Back then it was used to preserve And what we're not doing as Christians is we're not preserving the very thing we have a problem with. Mm. We're saying, look at the meat. It's decaying. It's terrible. There's all the things going on in the world. And God is saying, you're the preservative. And so if the earth is decaying, it's the fault of the salt, not the fault of the Mm. earth. That's what meat is supposed to do. And so the reason why people are looking at Christians the way they're looking at us is because all the songs we sing and all the sermons we hear are not translating to our communities. 
And until they translate to your home, to your neighborhood, to your school, to your job, then the church becomes less relevant because it's not doing what salt was supposed to do. Jonathan Evans is the author of Fighting Your Battles. You can get this book wherever books are sold. Jonathan, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has a lot of negatives around it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage our listeners to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith online or offline. So I want to ask you, here's our closing question I ask everybody. How do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? Question is, who are you? And the question for me is, who am I? The question for my kids is, who are you? Because they want to use social media. And I tell them, you can't use social media until you know who you are. Mm. Because I want you to be able to use social media. I don't want social media to be able to use you. And most people are used by social media because they're just addicted. They're just looking at people's videos. Um, They don't have a presence where people get to know who they are and therefore get to know who Christ is. And so my social media is based on Matthew 28. Go ye therefore into all of the world and make disciples. And so I use my gifts and skills, my talents to post things and put things out there, not concerned about the comments, only concerned about my content Mm. and what I'm giving the world and what I'm giving the world. I give my kids what I'm giving the world. I give my wife who I am at home is who I am on social media because I want people to know the real thing. And I want people to build a dependency on Christ as I have. And so a lot of people are bringing who they aren't to social Mm. media to try to do the song and the dance to get likes and followers because they're finding value in the wrong place. And the same people who follow you will troll you. So you better know who you are when you jump out there. And so I think it's an identity issue. And once we understand our identity, your identity goes wherever it goes. You don't have to switch your identity just because you went somewhere different. So good. Jonathan Evans is the author of Fighting Your Battles. You can get this wherever books are sold. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. So what can we learn from our conversation with Jonathan Evans? Number one, if God has said, I am taking you somewhere, you are fighting with God's plan of promise already on your behalf. Wilderness situations are a part of the Christian experience. We fight, though, from a place of victory. Number two, Jonathan says, as a former football player, The defense always watches film on you. The enemy has been watching you and knows your plays and your tendencies and knows where to get you, where it will hurt. But the Bible is one of the great ways we can get a look into God's playbook. You are not the first person to deal with your struggle or pain. Pain is actually a part of personhood. And God will, I want you to listen to me, God will carry you through. And he has carried his people through in scripture. And we have to read and remember and meditate on those stories. Number three, Christian maturity is not independence. It is dependence. We learn dependency in our experiencing our deepest need for God. 
And we also learn faith and victory through our deepest dependence on Christ. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Viral Jesus will be back on January 12th. So put it in your calendar. You can catch up on any of our previous episodes in the meantime. But when we come back, I cannot even wait to show you what we have planned for 2023. I am so excited about this show. Our pod class that will start on January 12th. You are absolutely going to want to invite your friends to join. The series is called What You May Be Getting Wrong About God. And we are talking with three different theologians for three weeks to ask them what area they think a lot of Christians today may be getting wrong about who God is. It is going to be a fantastic pod class. I'll see you in 2023 for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app for videos and more. Visit dts.edu slash podcast.